continuing on in our study of the tribulation period, Revelation 6 to 19 covers that, and tonight we're in chapter 14. Hopefully we'll get through this whole chapter tonight and help you to maybe understand some of the things you hear. Some of it is hard for us to understand, and someday we will know exactly what it means when we get to heaven and we witness these events. But most of it we can figure out pretty well and understand it. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we ask you to bless now as we look into the scripture and study this 14th chapter of the book of Revelation that you've given us. Help us to see what we need to see and understand it and open our eyes to the truth of your word. We thank you again for your blessings to us and help us to do your will in these last days. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Mount Zion here, most Bible teachers think, is referring to heaven, and for the following reasons, the context before the throne on down in verse 3, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. So they are in the throne in heaven. And so that seems to indicate that. And then also it is used to describe heaven in Hebrews 12. If you go back there and look at verse 22 in Hebrews 12, it says... But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. So it seems to be that this is the re reference here to standing on Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. The 144 special witnesses here in chapter 7 are with the Lord. And we see that coming out more clearly as we look down through the rest of this chapter. There's one commentary I read that said that the 144,000 were able to take the temple in Jerusalem, and so the Lord comes down and, and redeems them out of the temple. That, I don't think, is really how it is referring to here, but that is one idea. And, and anyhow... And they do that at the end of the tribulation period, they said. In chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, we read, And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the, the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. We know from chapter 5, this is a in heaven and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty four thousand which were redeemed from the earth and so it seems that this is a great multitude singing in heaven and the hundred forty four thousand can sing the new song they're the only ones that can sing it learn is also translated understood and so they they were there they were the only ones that understood this song. It's translated that way in Acts 23, 27. So they have been redeemed from the earth. There are 
different views on just when and how they are taken up. Some believe they were martyred and taken up. Some believe they are taken up just like the two witnesses. My personal thinking is that the Lord had them here for the mission they were to do to preach the gospel around the world, and then he just take, took them on up to heaven, and that they probably weren't martyred from, doesn't indicate that they were, they were just redeemed from the earth, it says taken up. In verses 4 and 5, it says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And there in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And so they these verses, they describe the character of the 144,000. They're not defiled with women. They're virgins. They are totally devoted to the Lord. No guile is found in their mouth. In other words, they are unblameable. And they are without fault before the throne of God. They do their work well. They do their work well. And that leaves an example for us. If you check these verses out, the Bible teaches us how the Lord is working to present us in, in when he takes us to heaven. And this is how he's looking to present us when he comes for us to rapture, takes us up. It says in Ephesians 1, 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, what? that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's his purpose, is to get us there holy and without blame before him in love. And if you look in chapter 5, verse 27, it says in this verse, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Notice he mentioned about these being the first fruits. And then 1 Peter 1.19. 1 Peter 1.19. Back there to 1 Peter. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the example that he set for us. He was without blemish and without spot, and that's what he wants to present us. And that's why he went to the cross, so that that could be done. He could present us without blemish and without spot. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22. Here it says in in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And so that's his goal. Hebrews 9, 24, or 14, pardon me. Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience? from dead works to serve the living God. 
to what he did for us. Jude, verse 24. The little book of Jude and verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So that's what he wants to do. That's what he has planned for us, is to present us without spot, blameless, unblameable, unreprovable before himself. So what should that mean to us? Titus chapter 2. Back to the book of Titus in chapter 2. Here in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works so the challenge is to us is to try to live that unreprovable unblameable blameless life, a life that is pleasing to God, and kind of gives you a little bit of idea of the first fruits there, and the rapture takes place, and we're going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and the rewards will be given out. We go to chapter 14 now, and verse 6, and I'm certain there's whole lot more could be said about all these things because what I've read is a whole lot more but just trying to cover the basics as we go through the tribulation period Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 says and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven now we have another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And so we see the gospel that he is preaching there in the next verse. It says, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So that's what he's preaching. And so he's preaching, flies across the sky, preaching that men should fear God and give him glory. The hour of judgment has come. Worship the Creator. It's a gospel of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. He preaches to the whole world. Notice that. To every nation and kindred and tongue and people in verse 6. So he preaches to the whole world. There's another opportunity. God has given the witness left by the church. There will be a lot of materials and, and Bibles 
left with markings in them. There will be a lot of notes and a lot of recordings of preachers' sermons. There will be a lot left by the church for, for people to pick up in the tribulation period. There will be the 144,000 witnesses, special witnesses, Jewish witnesses, the two witnesses. This angel flying with the everlasting gospel, God has given them great opportunity to repent and to turn to him. And then we notice in, in verse 8, it says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It seems like this angel flies across the sky as the last chance to give them to repent and turn to Christ. And then it tells us about Babylon being fallen here in verse 8. And she's made all nations, she made all nations drink the wrath of her fornication. That takes place in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, where you have the religious Babylon destroyed in chapter 17, and then the commercial Babylon destroyed in chapter 18. That's at the end of the tribulation period, right before the battle of Armageddon. So chapter 14 here is kind of just pushing us out, just giving an overview of the things that are coming up until the end. And it's kind of an interlude here, giving us information of what transpires. And so God is giving them the final chance before it seems like in this verses seven and eight before he puts the the seven, the seven vials of God's wrath, the seven vials are poured out, the last thing of the tribulation period. And notice it says then in verse nine, it says, and the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice. So we have these three angels, the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead. Notice the warning here again. Here's an angel comes and cries with a loud voice. If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. It seems like that this angel is, is warning right before the Antichrist institutes his mark at the middle of the tribulation period. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. You have to read that again. And the, the wrath of God poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. Indignation means red hot anger. God is infuriated with those who take this mark to worship the beast. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus. Now, notice here that this seems to be pointing to the 
great white throne judgment before the presence and be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb as they appear at the great white throne judgment and they are condemned because of their failure to put place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ cast into the lake of fire. And the smoke of their torment, the Bible tells us, ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night. No rest, day nor night. I don't know about you, but if I go just a few days without rest, I'm beat. It only takes one day, really, and you don't get a good night's sleep, you know, and the next day you're all drug out. You don't get proper sleep. It just, wow. But they, no rest day nor night, not just for one day or for a few months, but forever and ever. That's what the Bible tells us. Whosoever receiveth the mark, have no rest. Sendeth up forever and ever. Ever and ever. That means it never ends. They're continually tormented day and night say I just that's pretty cruel out of God really when he gave his son when he gave us this book to teach us and tell us the story of Jesus and so that no man would have any excuse because he has the word of God and in the Old Testament times he had the prophets and the word of God that they gave revealing the Messiah that would come. And in our time, we have the complete word of God, and it's all spelled out for us from the beginning to the end, tells the story of Jesus, and how he came, and how he, his main purpose for coming was to free us from sin so that we'd never end up in this place. And so God doesn't want anyone there. He, he, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So in verses 9 to 12, there in the notes, this angel warns that anyone who worships the Antichrist and takes his mark will cause the terrible wrath of God to be poured out upon them, and they will be tormented with fire and brimstone forever. There is no rest from it, day or night rest and verse 12 tells us that here is the patience of the saints here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ those who have true faith in Christ will not be deceived by the devil they know that even in death they will win because of their faith because they were willing to follow the word of God and that's the same true for us when we we, we can have patience. We know that the Lord is coming. He may not come in our lifetime, but it sure looks like he will. And so we have patience. We can endure. We have a nation that's falling apart, a nation that's turning away from God, a nation that is in desperate need of revival. And we need to stand up and let our voices be heard, and we need to pray for a revival. We need not to sit back when we have a governor here in Ohio who vetoed 
a bill that would protect children, a bill that would stop this transgender thing, a bill that would stop men from being in women's sports, and he was paid something like $40,000 by Children's Hospital to, really it's a bribe. And so we have a governor who turned away from what he should have done. And so we need to let our voices be heard. We need to get a hold of our, our, our legislators and the governor and let them know that we're not happy with that and they need to override his, his veto. I just threw that in as an extra, but we need to, we need to let our voices be heard and stand up, patience of the saints, keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We're not going to compromise. Verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, that saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. It will be a great relief from this point to die rather than to go through what is coming for those who place their faith in Christ in the tribulation period. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Notice the henceforth, so he's talking about going on into the tribulation period. It seems like that in this chapter we're, we're covering the whole scope of the last half of the tribulation period in these seven vials of God's wrath are going to be poured out. It's going to be bad, 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 bad. It's just better to die. Knowing the Lord, better to die. And uh, they may rest from their labors than to go through what is coming. It will be a wonderful escape from the wicked devices of the Antichrist and they will be rewarded for their stand for Christ. It says their works do follow them. God will reward them for their faithfulness and standing in it in one of the most difficult times of, on the earth for anyone to stand for Christ. There's been a lot of difficult times, been a lot of martyrs throughout history, but this will be one of the most difficult times to stand up for Christ. And yet there will be some who do, and they will be martyred. Now we go ahead here in the rest of this chapter and, and we look at the ahead to the battle of Armageddon it's moving in that direction now as this whole chapter is kind of going over the, the events that are going to take place in the second half of the tribulation period just kind of reviewing those and shooting out to the end and here in verse 14 it says and I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Most of the commentators think that this is a reference to Jesus Christ. And we do know from Revelation 19 that Jesus is the judge. That's spelled out for us in, in John chapter 5 and verse 27, very clearly in the scripture where it says, and, he, and hath given, verse 26 says, For as the Father hath life in himself, 
so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So all judgment has been given to the Son, and here in verse 14 we have this one like unto the Son of Man, one set like unto the Son of Man. If we go back to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30, Matthew 24 and verse 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And these last verses here of chapter 14 are describing the events leading up to the battle of Armageddon. And so it seems to appear that this Son of Man, like unto the Son of Man here, is Jesus Christ. Now, Look in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Because someone might say, well, it says like unto. It doesn't say that he is. Well, in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. Notice the clouds of heaven. And came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And so we know from reading the other scriptures there in the book of Daniel, chapter two, Nebuch chapter one and two, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then we it's clearly Jesus, like unto the Son of Man. So it seems like that the sickle in his hand indicates he is coming for judgment, and the crown that he is coming to reign. He's coming to reign. So then we notice it says, and another angel. Now the other, another angel doesn't seem to be referring to this one that's set on the cloud like the son of man it's just giving us what we see in verse 6 another angel and also down there the third angel second angel and these different angels that are mentioned this is another angel now came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that said on the cloud thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, this angel's angel, according to some commentators, appears to be delivering a message from God the Father. And I saw this one that also seems interesting is that, or possibly, he's not coming out of the heavenly temple, but he's coming out of the temple on the earth, having observed what's going on there in the temple on the earth and how the Antichrist has made his image and the, the abomination that's taken place there, the abominable actions of the Antichrist. And so he makes this as not a command, but a plea. Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Because we know that, as I put there in the notes, in the, in the parenthesis there, 
A created angel cannot command the Son of God. This is called some commentators a lot of wondering because this angel seems to be commanding the one on the cloud. But if you look at it from the other aspect of making a plea, he sees and he pleads to the Lord to thrust in the sickle. Someday we will understand that fully. But ripe is also translated in the King James Bible as mostly wither away and wither, dry up, dry up, and pine away. And so what that, the, the, the harvest of the earth is ripe, meaning that the wickedness has become, this indicates how wicked the world has become. Tremendous wickedness. And verse 16 says, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped, reaped. Now, then we'll read on to get the whole scope here. It says, and another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So we notice here that it seems that the reaping of the earth, 16, in verse 16, is something different than the gathering of the vine of the earth in verse 19. So it seems that the first refers to the judgments of the second half of the tribulation period, the vials of God's wrath that are going to be poured out. It seems to indicate that when it says the earth was reaped, that he, it, it seems to be a threshing of the, of the earth. And then in verse 19, it, it seems that the first refers to judgments of the, of, the, of the second half of the tribulation period, while the second, verse 19, to the battle of Armageddon, the treading of the winepress when the Lord establishes his kingdom, fights the, the armies of the earth and establishes his kingdom. So let's look at these verses and just get a little bit of an idea here. Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 33. Jeremiah 51, 33. Here it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon, notice what it says, is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her, yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall come. And then in Joel chapter 3, back to the little book of Joel chapter 3, here in Joel 3 it says this in verse 2, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So notice there that 
He will gather them. And that's what these angels seem to be doing. And it's what the one likened the Son of Man doing. It seems like they're gathering them for what? Well, go down to verse 9 of Joel. It says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come to up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down. For the press is full. The fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and stars shall, not with, shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Boy, Hamas needs to read that, don't they? They need to get that down, that they're fighting really against God. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And then Revelation chapter 16 Verses 13 to 16 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, the devil, and out of the mouth of the beast, the antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. God uses them to do that. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. We will cover Armageddon in more detail later on as we get over there in chapter 19. But the city here that's referred to is Jerusalem, and the blood comes from those who fight against God in Revelation chapter 14 and it says in verse 20 and the winepress was trodden without the city talking about the city of Jerusalem and the blood comes from those who fight against God and it will come to the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs six hundred and a thousand and six hundred furlongs is equals out to 184 to 200 miles and the 
horse bridles would be three to four feet. See, so it will come to the horse bridles, three to four feet, covering a space of 184 to 200 miles. And if you look at Revelation 19 and verse 15, it says here, And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, that with it he should, as when the Lord returns to smite the nation, he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So it's clear. And then Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6, tells us a little prophetic scripture of how he will come. And it says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? Bozrah is way down there in the south. This is that this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none like me, for I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is mine, is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me in my fury, and it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. And so based upon that Old Testament scripture, they come from Basra. You can look in chapter 34 and verse 6, the other reference mentioned here. It says, The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness, and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath the sacrifice in Bozrah, and a great slaughter in the land of Indumia. And so the, it appears that when the Lord returns and goes down to fight the battle of Armageddon, that he will come down there in the south, and he will move right up to the north, and when he does, the heads will fly. The armies of the earth, their heads will just fly. The blood will spurt, and the blood will flow to the horse bridles. Now, some think that that because when you tread the wine, blood splatters up, and that's what it's talking about, blood splattering up to the horse bridles, but it seems to indicate to me that the blood will flow that deep. It'll flow three to four feet deep because you're going to have an army that will fill up almost all of Israel that comes to fight against God, and a huge army. And this, he comes all the way from the south and goes all the way up to the north, up past Megiddo and right on up. If you look at the length of, of the, the space that's given here, it goes all the way up to the top of, of Israel. The whole land, Israel is about 200 miles in length from the bottom to the top. And these all come to fight, and they're all slain by the Lord Jesus Christ, and their blood is flowing. And you might think, well, that's, how could that be? Well, I 
placed here. I think I put it in my notes somewhere here. Um, maybe I put it in the back. If I put it in here somewhere, I'll find it for you and read it to you. Got so many papers in here that that's not it. And uh, here it is. It's on the bottom of the stack. This is a comes out of from James Knox's commentary of uh, Revelation. He says, under the horse bridle, here is a river of human blood nearly 200 miles long and over three feet deep. What an incredible picture. No wonder the commentators seek to explain it away. When the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, so great was the bloodshed that Josephus says the whole city ran down with that blood to such a degree that the fires of many of the houses were quenched thereby. When Celia took Athens, Plutarch says that the blood that was shed in the marketplace alone covered all the ceramicus as far as Diplus, and some testify that it ran through the gates and overflowed the suburbs. Westine records when Hadrian besieged the city called Viton, he slew so many that the horses waded in blood up to their mouths. So to me it seems like that this is literal, that the, the blood will flow that high because there are so many people that are slain as they come to fight against God. And it's center, the center of this 184 to 200 miles would come out to the valley of Jehoshaphat which means Jehoshaphat means God will judge and it's there in the valley of Jezreel where this battle will take place so that's chapter 14 and it's some things are a little bit difficult for us to really pinpoint exactly but pretty much describes what is coming and the judgment that will be revealed in the in these chapters to follow when the seven vials of God's wrath are poured out and Babylon is dealt with, commercial Babylon and religious Babylon and the Lord is, returns in chapter 19 to fight this battle and destroy the armies of the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these few moments to consider this 14th chapter. Help us to see that these things that are prophesied are going to take place and that God is you father are just giving warning and warning and warning and, and you've given the church to warn for these 2,000 years warning 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 and you've given you'll give the 144,000 the, the two witnesses the angel flying across preaching the gospel the witness of those who come to Christ and just in the tribulation that just every opportunity for these people yet they reject and many will spend an eternity without God oh how we pray that people wake up today who are living in this period of grace when all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and we'll be saved help them to wake up and see the need of Christ. We have family members and friends who are lost 
We pray, Father, that somehow, some way, we can get the gospel to them before it's too late for them. We just thank you for your word to guide us. Bless in this prayer time tonight, invitation, and all that takes place. We thank you and love you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.